755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome, 755 is real. Glad you're back with us. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic, and I'm with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. What's going on, man? How you doing, Eric? Good, Dave. I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. We're hoping for some baseball before uh, before too much longer. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're throwing out some more proposals today, right? Or the last few days. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's. Uh, you know, when when we first when the shutdown happened and like in that maybe two or three weeks after that, I was really under the impression. I mean, you know, I was listening to people talk, and I'm looking at you know the horror show that was. COVID-19 as it was developing and getting worse and worse and worse for, you know, a solid month and a half. And I would, if you'd asked me then, I didn't think they were going to play. I mean, I honestly could not see playing baseball or football this year, but I think now there's a chance, uh, a better than a 50-50 chance they're going to play a baseball season. I still don't know about football though, but I think they're going to play baseball some, 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 at least 80 to a hundred games. I really do. Why wouldn't they be able to play football? I just think, man, it is such a different – we'll get to that, but I just think it's such a different uh, set of challenges that they face with the intense physical contact and breathing on top of each other and three times the size rosters. And the as- and, and, and not to mention the aspect of playing football games in empty stadiums compared to playing baseball games in empty stadiums. I think it's totally different. I just think there's so much working against football that there isn't against baseball, but I could be wrong, but I just think it's a lot easier to control this to some degree, at least with baseball and 25, 30 man rosters, if they expand them, whatever, as opposed to having 75 guys on, on each sideline. And, and like I said, the constant contact and in each other's faces. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I didn't really think of it that way because, you know, in baseball, everybody's touching the ball, but I, that, yeah, it's probably, it's probably a lot bigger obstacle to get football going, but I just feel like if, if we're playing sports, we're playing sports. You know, if, if you can get to a point, unless it's without fans, which is, I guess, what they're talking about. But well, It's going to have to be without fans. So that's the thing. Yeah. Is you can imagine SEC football games without fans? Yeah. 100,000-seat stadiums? Yeah, but it's a culture. People still be – I mean, I almost feel like the leagues need to kind of leverage more TV money out of it if they can. I don't know how the contracts are, but – People aren't going to miss the games if, you know, they're still going to be just as fired up. Oh, I think the audiences will be larger on TV than they've ever been. Yeah. But football, God, it's going to be weird. I mean, baseball, baseball fans are not that averse to turning in. uh, You've turned, you've tuned to baseball games when the Mariners are playing fill in the blank, when the Braves are playing at Marlins, you know, on a Wednesday night game in July. Brace fans are used to turning on uh, Fox Sports South and hearing like no crowd response, you know, quiet. Yeah. Baseball, it's not that unusual. I mean, think of the first game of doubleheaders after rainouts. Yeah. There's a lot of games where there's like 700, 1,000 people in the stands around baseball every year. You know, yeah, but each it's not zero. <laughs> it's not zero, yeah. but 700 people at a 70,000 seat uh, venue when I was covering the Marlins, they had a doubleheader. They, we counted them, and it was like one day it was like 490 people or something. So, yeah, so I, at least you can imagine it, but I don't even I don't even know what it would be like watching a college football game with nobody in the seats. God, it would be weird. Or an NFL game. 
Well, I've watched, I saw the UFC fight, which was still, I mean, pretty damn awkward to watch that right. um, with no fans there. Right. Um, that means it's going to be, it's going to be weird for sure. The, the yeah. closest thing I ever played, um, I would say, you know, you're talking about the, the day game doubleheaders and stuff like that, but the rain delay, the late rain delay. Oh, yeah, that's just, right. Yeah. Those are the worst because you can you can actually talk to the fans. Yeah. <laughs> they can talk to you when you're on the mound. You know, people think that when they're screaming in a loud stadium and making noise, it might get in your head or something. But when yeah. you can hear the guy sitting three rows behind the dugout who yeah. probably bought a seat in the upper deck and they just don't care anymore. So they let him sit there and he can have a conversation with you in between pitches, man. That's, that's probably the hardest time to tune out the fans and, and just focus on the game. It, it feel it does feel really awkward. That's what I wondered. Uh, you know, I, I, I can only imagine when there's like, cause we've had these rainouts, you know, so many in uh, the first couple of years yeah. at uh, Truist Park where they have like a two hour delay. And like you said, almost everybody's gone when they restart the game <laughs> on a weeknight, school night. And you have that one guy who's drunk. They've been hammering yep. beers during, <laughs> and he's yelling at the pitcher or the hitter. You suck. I mean, you gotta pee. You gotta hear that, huh? As a pitcher or a oh, hitter. You can't you can't ignore that. <laughs> the thing that sucks is if they if you know if the rain delays after the seventh inning, they're usually yeah. up. Yeah. But if the if the rain delay happens before they cut off beer sales, yeah. These guys can just sit there and drink for two hours waiting for it to start back up. I mean, they're gonna be loud. And it, it's crazy because you know that. Like I said, even if you're warming up in the bullpen, there's people screaming at you, but there's so much background noise that kind of blends in. But yeah. you come out on the mound and it's you throw a ball and you can hear the umpire say ball, and then you can hear, you know, some <laughs> fan, especially for guys that have been up and down or something happened in that situation before. Yeah. Goes, Going back to triple A tomorrow, you know. <laughs> when those guys are yelling that stuff and they can hear it on the mound, it's it's definitely tough to tune out. Do they do that? The guys let like uh they know a rookie's up there or call oh, yeah. up there struggling. Guys let him know it. Oh yeah, but this, <laughs> the thing is, they're so drunk they'll say that to you know Kimbrel or somebody that's got a five year deal. They say no. you know you go back to AAA. They don't even know what they're yelling. No, I meant like opposing players. Do they let them know it? Oh no, no, okay. they don't say that. That's yeah. that's kind of like that's yeah. a line. That's yeah, it's punish. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in the NBA, they probably do it, and NFL, yeah. I'm sure they do it, but MLB's late to the, a lot of these parties. <laughs> no, so yeah, I was thinking that players. Uh, Almost every player has played a season or half season or whatever at a league where they drew like flies, whether it's short season rookie ball, Arizona Fall League. I mean, there's games in the Arizona Fall League where there's only 150 people in the crowd and half of them are scouts, uh, girlfriends, hangers on, groupies. You know, that's all that's there for those Arizona Fall League games that start at, you know, noon or one. Well, same with, you know, Arizona rookie ball. I uh-huh. got signed and I went into pro ball and I thought, man, this is, it's going to be on when I get there. You know, there's going to be, I got to, I'm going to have to stay calm. Your first game in rookie ball is at 10 a.m. and there's one dude in the stands and he's doing the chart. You know, it was, it was the league official score. And I'm not saying like this happened once. This was for the entire season. There was oh, one guy. Man. Yeah. And you're playing at 10 a.m. It's 115 degrees. Uh-huh. I, when I got called up to Everett, um, single you know short season uh a ball uh-huh. there was probably you know two thousand, and it felt like i was in the big <laughs> compared to rookie ball so i think you know baseball players might, might be pretty well suited yeah. to handle the violence and stuff but you know it, it'll be weird it's it'll, it'll definitely be awkward I, the orioles did it a few years ago yeah that game where yeah where they have the riots in town yeah um and especially be weird for some teams like if you play for the yankees or the dodgers you know you're playing. You're playing in front of big crowds everywhere you go. 
And the Braves yeah. play in front of big crowds for the most part. But but I mean those those places especially, and all of a sudden you got nobody in the seats. But like I said, I don't think most of these guys are that far removed from playing in small. And even like uh, guys in high school, you know, it's different than it is for football players because most of them are studs in their high school. Most of them came from good high schools, and they've been yeah. playing in front of. You know, even a small town football team in high school, that's a big deal in town. You know, it's it's three, yeah. four thousand people at the game at least. So I just think it's a very whole different scenario with uh football than it is baseball. But neither said no. we'll, we'll find out. I mean, if, if they do it. But you know, football might be the same thing though. They might look at it as it might be awkward, but we still gotta get that T V revenue. We gotta play. Yeah. No, that's that's kind of my point is that if it's awkward uh, for the players, I don't think anybody making decisions is gonna right. say, give a shit. You know, it's oh you know, it's awkward. Okay. We're yeah. still playing. Go out but there I, and you know, make yeah. the money. I was thinking more along the lines of just the physical contact and I mean you're yeah. hitting people in the face, you're spitting on each other, you know, whether you're trying to or not. Yeah. Yeah. And if one of those guys is, is infected, I think it's more, a lot more likely to spread quickly when there's that much contact, but who knows? I I mean, it's good. They'd obviously have to test everybody before every game in football, you know? Yeah. (laughs) They'll find a way. I don't know, man. Yeah. Probably have to find a way. I also saw they were having a, they had some wrestling cards with, uh, with no fans. Yeah. Like, like, like all-star wrestling. Yeah, that's kind of that tough was, sell right that there. was really weird. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that the whole thing is you know <laughs> instead of with yeah. the villains and the, the white hats and the black hat guys. And, yeah. Anyway. Well, so yeah, baseball still considering, like you said, the last couple of days, a lot of these ideas have started to leak out. Baseball's leaking some of them to kind of run them up the flagpole, get responses. But the basically the gist of it is, baseball is still considering multiple wide ranging ideas from playing all the games in Arizona. That, that idea that came out, you know, three or four weeks ago, no longer seems likely at all uh, to playing in as many as 20 ballparks in a dozen States, which to me still sounds really ambitious. And I don't, I can't imagine it happening so soon, but we'll see. Um, and then there's lots of plans in between those two. And I think one of those is p- probably more likely. You know, I've heard the one where they start in three states, you know, Arizona, Florida, Texas, and then they move to, you know, 12, 15 different places that are, you know, where where COVID-19 is flat, the curve's flattening, and they're not have so many cases. There's just so many things being discussed. Yeah, I, I can't even keep track of it. I know. And the reason is because baseball knows there's no reason to make that decision now when it could change so radically in two weeks. It's changing still so quickly. So they're going to yeah. wait as long as they can to be able to get in an 80 to 100 game season. So they could wait, you know, until like the end of this month, you know, and then yeah. try to have like a three week spring training in June and maybe start the first week of July. I talked to a couple of different people this week from other teams that that's what they've heard, you know, while while nothing is concrete at all, the the thing they hear most often is that first week in July as being something they're aiming for, you know, MLB. Yeah, and if you're trying to get 80 games in, shit, you play – You this is one thing you realize as a player when you hit August is there's still 60 games left. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's not that hard. And if you had that extra month and, and you were mm-hmm. playing down in warm weather, they can – you know, they have time to, to kind of figure it all out. Um you yeah, know, with off days and stuff, you need three months to play a hundred game season. Yeah, which, and yeah, go ahead. No, just which you you know you're gonna have time for that if if the league's cool with it. I've heard them kind of say a hundred's kind of the bare minimum they're trying to get to, but mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's just, it's, it's all so much in the air. I, I kind of stop paying attention whenever these new ideas float out there because it's, yeah. you hear one and then, then, then the league completely says, no, we've never even talked about that. You know, it's just, it's like kind of all just rumors at this point, but who knows? I think you could start uh, in July and play a hundred games. Cause you could go well Easy. into October. You could take the uh, regular season in October, play the playoffs in, into November. Yeah, easy. I mean, I've heard even they, they've discussed everything, and, and that includes playing a World Series in early December, which you could do. You're not going to have much break between the end of that and uh, spring training, but, hey, this is a weird season anyway. And if that's what you have to do for two teams, you know, you know, and if four teams have, you know, a month less before spring training, I don't, that, that, I don't see that that's that big a deal to me. Or you just shorten up spring training. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, we say we everyone that. says it's too long all the time anyway. Just have For a shorter sure. spring. And if guys could – no, but not a single player is going to complain about that. But, right. you know, if, if anybody's unhappy with it, you just say, you know, go down there early and work out more. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of guys that play winter ball that used to – yeah. lot of a lot of big-time stars used to play winter ball, even if for a few weeks. But – I mean, they're getting – then they'd go almost straight. If they played in the Caribbean World Series, they're going almost straight to spring training from there after playing like a month of winter ball. So I mean, that's that's typical for Latin guys. They, yeah. A lot of them play all year round. Yep, exactly. So, you know, I don't – people are just so used to players having so much time off in the winter, but if there's one off season where they can make an exception, this would be the one. So you don't get to shut it down for a month and a half, so you shut it down for a week instead or two weeks, you know, and then you start – yeah. Well, you know what, guys, you know, a lot of guys, especially pitchers, a big a big trend the last like maybe five, six years in my career, I noticed was guys were starting to throw in November. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they took, you know, uh, October off was because they just felt like maybe they should. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys, I remember Cole Hamels was a guy that was doing it where it was like, you know, if I stop throwing for a few months, my arm kind of hurts. But if I just uh-huh. keep throwing, I just keep rolling. Right. I've, I've noticed a lot of guys are kind of adapting that and Pitchers are the toughest guys to get ready anyway. So, I, you know, it's the game's really changing in that aspect where guys aren't taking much time off. They're always working. They're always doing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it'd be hard to have a shorter spring training or mess with that that end of it at all. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely shorten spring training by two weeks for everybody. And the pitchers, could, yeah. and the pitchers if they needed to start throwing a little bit more at home before they go down there, could do that. Yeah. Or they could report earlier. Who knows? You could, you could make it work, though. Point is, you could start in July and play 100 games, no problem, Easy. I think, and yep. still have a, a good postseason and not have to make it a, you know, a tournament. It could still be a real postseason, but it's going to be fun, I think. I, you know, the one scenario that I saw, I don't know if it's realistic at all, was that was that uh, three division, 10 yeah. teams in each division. But I swear, man, if that could happen, I liked it because <laughs> for the Braves – it's really weird because for whatever reason they're not in the East on that in that scenario in that uh, in that uh, layout that Bob Nightingale uh, had this week. The Braves were in a division with both Chicago teams. They like up, went up through the Midwest to Minnesota, I think uh, Kansas City. Uh, I liked it, you know. And the Braves wouldn't, and you wouldn't go to New York. You wouldn't play the Nationals. We'd have. To, if if we're traveling, if we're as writers get to travel, we're going to Chicago multiple times. But I know the players like going to Chicago too, you know. Yeah, well, Rather it's than, a short flight. Yeah, 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 and that's the thing is the whole thing is set up for to reduce the travel. That's why that would be the way it is. And those east eastern seaboard teams could all that's easy easy traveling for them 
you know, hope they're not trying to drop bus rides on them. That'd be amazing though. (laughs) Trains and charter flights quick. But anyway, we'll see. But they had the West and then, the you know, there's a three division, 10 teams in each. But uh, it just goes to show that they're willing to do – they're considering everything. I mean, all bets. Yeah. There's nothing that to restrict them because they've already, you know, made it up in their heads. They realize they've come to grips with there's going to be a huge asterisk by this season regardless. So go ahead and do whatever you need to do to get a games in. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, just freestyle at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but even like in Seattle, I mean, things have radically changed in the last few weeks, right? I mean, you would have said no way a month ago, six weeks ago, right? But now? Well, you know, it's just so hard to tell because there's so many people that have had it that haven't gotten tested, you know, that right, affects right. the numbers and stuff. I think the country's kind of coming to that realization. Yeah. But yeah. our country or our our whole area up here in Seattle, you know, it's it's pretty much been the same. But I think everyone's cooperated pretty well. I mean, I went... I was walking this morning just to get out of the house and I walked for an hour. I didn't see a single car. You know, it's, it's almost yeah. like a ghost town. And I, I think that's probably why it's working so well. Cause we were one of the first places with a big outbreak, but yeah, it's just, it's really hard to gauge. They just opened up. Um, they're opening up fishing and hunting and some recreational activities. I think they're going to start opening up parks and stuff soon, but our stay at home order just got uh, extended mm-hmm. another month. Oh, really? Or indefinitely. It was one of the two. I can't wow, remember, but it just that. got extended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it's hard to really gauge where we're at. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and, and just so people know, we're going to get, we're going to get to some questions and answers here real quick. Uh, we're going to take, we took uh, questions off Twitter this morning. Some really good questions. Just wrap this thing up though here. Um, and the other thing is the reason they're waiting so long is they need to see, cause all these States are, are opening up again for better or worse. Georgia was the first. And they, got, and they got to see yeah, They got to see if there's a spike because you might have this grand plan, and all of a sudden you you've got a spike in COVID nineteen in about ten different cities, and you're like, okay, that plan's shot to hell. So there's no reason to get everything in place and make start making all you know really going forward with it until you see what's going to happen. So that's why they're waiting yeah. as long as they can, you know, as long as they ha- as long as they can possibly wait, see if things get yeah. clearer and better, whatever. So. But point is, MLB officials have made, uh, you know, I talked to two people this week that both were a lot more optimistic. And they, I mean, they believe something's going to, they're going to play a series or, or play a season. But players in, in MLB have still got to agree on the thing, you know, ultimately. I know they're, they're going to, the owners are talking about, you know, asking players to take, to, con, to make more concessions uh, salary wise if there's no fans beyond the prorated salaries they've already agreed to. They need to ask cable companies for more money if they're going to take tell the players take less. You know, I mean, things have changed. There's going to be more people watching than ever. They're going to get huge ratings, man. The advertising, yeah. woof. The ad rates and should raise those if it's not too late to do that. I That's don't what I'm that saying. Works. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> people, TV people are listening to us going, "You guys shut the hell up! You don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or a tuxedo, for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. I had a terrible experience. Who would have thought a quick trip for a tux fitting the day after the 4th of July would be such a struggle? What should have been a 15-minute max meeting turned into an hour ordeal with a good half-hour wait time just to get paperwork started. Why am I doing paperwork at a tux shop? 
Clearly, this place was under understaffed for a study afternoon, uh, for a Saturday afternoon. Holiday weekend or not, I'm pissed off and I'm not coming back. Oh, uh, yeah, he's not coming back. And, yeah, you don't have that problem at the Black Tux. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check in one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off your with the code BRAVES. That's theblacktux.com, code BRAVES for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. So, okay, here we go. We got some, uh, we took a, uh, man, the questions that I get when I, when I throw this out there on Twitter, when I ask people to ask us questions, they're really good. I mean, and it's yeah. not like a bunch of assholes that are, you know, asking us terrible questions or the, the, the questions are really good. So I threw it out there this morning, thought this would be a good day to do it. And within an hour, I had like 12 really good questions. So without further ado, let's get on it. All right. First one, Logan Myers, uh, Logan, <laughs> Loganeer, it sounds like is, is what his, his uh, handle is. He says, you've talked often about the incredibly team-friendly contracts of Acuna and Albies. Is there any reason for concern that at some point during those contracts, the players may do what often happens in the NFL and hold out because they feel they're being uh, underpaid, uh, paid under their actual value? You know, we've talked about this. Um, I don't think it's a holdout situation because they don't have that leverage. It doesn't work like it does in the NFL. But we've talked about this, how it could be an awkward situation, right? I think it could could get awkward. I think that a good comparison is that, well, maybe not great comparison, but the contract that uh, Sal Perez signed with Kansas City was like, yeah. it was like yeah. six years, five million or something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, some of the teams, it's a chance to look really good and 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 maybe get the player to stay, you know, career wise, you know, mm-hmm. longer, longer term. But um, I think that's the most likely thing is, is that maybe they'd rework Aussies if he turns into what mm-hmm. I think he's capable of turning into. Mm-hmm. But the thing I've never understood a player signing a contract and then refusing to honor it. And that's probably just me not understanding how NFL contracts work. And I don't, but I know in baseball that there's, I don't know if there's ever been a guy that's, that's held out and said, I'm not coming to camp until I get yeah. more money doesn't work because it just doesn't work. Yeah. They don't have any leverage to do that because they have to, I mean, that I, here's the big difference in the NFL, the loyalty or, or the commitment is a two way thing. Cause in the NFL, they can cut you at any time. So it's not right. really a guaranteed contract. The only part that's guaranteed in an NFL contract is a signing bonus. So that's why you see these super studs getting these $30 million signing bonus. Cause that's the only part that's guaranteed. And, right. then the, and then the only thing that prevents a team from cutting you is that it speeds up uh, the hit on their salary cap the next year. But that's not that doesn't stop them from cutting you and saving $30, $40 million. And they can do it. You might have a terrific season. They don't have to justify yeah. it. They can just say, we're going in a different direction. We're not going to spend the money. You're cut. And they can't do that in baseball. So that's why – you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's – that's. I mean – 
that's part of, and that's part of why it, one of the huge perks of, of Ozzy's situation is he doesn't have, he knows right now he never has to work again in his life. If he doesn't exactly. feel like it. And, and that's what you're signing when you mm-hmm. do that, you know, you're signing away. You, you, you just, you're betting on yourself or you're not. And mm-hmm. I don't blame any guy that takes one of those contracts. You know, I remember I talked to BMAC about that a lot because he kind of signed a undervalued contract that, that turned out to be undervalued, but his whole logic on the, the whole thing was, you know, if I outperform this contract, I'm going to make it up on the back end. And he did. He went and got, I think, $80 million from the Yankees. Mm-hmm. But the security it gave him and the way it made him feel, he's like, that's probably a big part of why I played so well because I never had to yeah. worry about that side of baseball again. So in in baseball, they're offering you that that security. And if you don't have it in football, I, I guess that makes sense why they would just try to you know hold out or get every yeah. dollar they could. You know, if, Especially coming if you're coming off a huge season in football and – Mm-hmm. And you want some more money, and and it's if that plays with the in, within the clubhouse and and within the team and and your teammates respect it, then mm-hmm. I just I don't. It's just not something I would ever see a baseball player doing because yeah. it's, it's guaranteed money. It's different. Yeah, and you pointed out something there too: the whole clubhouse culture as far yeah. as doing that in the NFL, it's totally accepted. I mean, you only see the guys usually. They try to interview their teammates and ask them how you know your your but your buddy's not in camp. Your quarterback or your wide receivers holding out he's missed all the training camp what do you feel about it? and you almost always see the guys if he's a good teammate and he's a good player they go hey he's got to do what he's got to do as long as he's yeah. here on, on, on opening day or whatever you and even if they miss regular games you rarely see guys rip them and that's only if they're real jerks you know that they might rip them it's totally different in baseball. If a guy's like not at spring training, that would be really yeah. <laughs> awkward. You know, you're down there busting your ass and he's got this guaranteed contract and he's just not honoring it because he, he outperformed it in his view. Yeah. It's different. Just different. Yeah. It's totally different. You know, the one case that I had saw, saw this, the only time I've ever seen this in 25 years was, was uh, with the Marlins. They had a, uh, they had a rookie who was a really burner, man. He like had a ton of stolen bases as a rookie and he was represented by the football agent down there. uh, (laughs) Rosenhaus, Drew Rosenhaus. He thought he would get into uh, baseball and it was the first baseball client he had. So this guy had a huge rookie year. Uh, What was his name? Um, Oh God, I can look it up. But he, he had a big rookie year. So, he held out of camp. He was going to hold out of spring training the following year. He was out like two or three days. And basically, and basically the Marlins just laughed at him go, we're not giving you anything. You have no leverage. You're not even arbitration eligible yet. You're going to get the minimum salary and you're going to like it. Or you're just don't play. But you can't, you don't have leverage. So like three days later, he was in camp and you never heard from it again. But Drew well, yeah. actually thought he could. He had leverage, like he did. No. Like he's so used to his football players holding out. No, and you know, you see the other thing that you'll see guys like refuse to sign a contract just as a demonstration is that after your first three years in the big leagues, before you go to arbitration, you'll get like a seven thousand dollar raise, yeah. and the the teams will just there's a there's a process to it where they force it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what they renew your contract instead of agreeing. Mm-hmm. And all that does is just, it kind of sets the table for arbitration. If you say, you know, like, look, each year they didn't give me enough. But right. even that's just eyewash. It, it doesn't really mean anything. There's there's just no situation in baseball where you could really leverage holding out. I mean, you know, if Mike Trout would have done it with the Angels yeah. two years in, who knows what right. would happen. But right. um, yeah. I just, I don't see any, I don't see it ever happening in baseball. Just Unless, work. you know, 
there's a new agreement or something yeah. like that. And only a percent of your contract was guaranteed. But anytime these guys have guaranteed deals, you know, that's the whole, that's the whole perk of yeah. guaranteed money is, you know, you're not going to lose it. And that's the great divide there. That's the big reason why when people ask you, people are so so used to football, you know, maybe they follow football or they're just so used to the football contracts that they wonder if a guy's going to hold out in baseball. It just doesn't work. The guy by mm-hmm. the name, by the way, was Chuck Carr. Chuck Carr. 93, he was finished fourth in the rookie of the year. He only hit 267 with a 327 OBP and a 657 OPS, but he stole 58 bases, led the league. Dang. Yeah. Well, thanks. thanks for trying, Chuck. So then he held out. <laughs> For like two days, like I said, it's like okay. Put his he put his he put his head down and came back to camp. And shut up and uh, yeah, and and, and never OPSed uh, seven hundred in his career and was gone by before age thirty. So yeah, worth it then. You know, if he would have got a guaranteed deal, would have paid off. Yeah, try Chuck. Yeah, so but that was a Drew Rosenhaus special football agent coming into baseball thinking he could throw his weight around. Um, no. Next question. Oh, but yeah, but as far as um, we don't think you could hold out, but the awkwardness, I, mean, we, I could see a scenario, say, where either one of them, you, you mentioned Ozzy, but I could see where Acuna, if he is becomes the Mike Trout of the NL, which we think he's capable of doing, if he's the biggest stud in the NL in f- three years from now or two years from now, and he's making, you know, that I, th- I think he makes like $17 million a year for like five or six years, there's going to be guys making $40 million by then. I could see where that could get a little a little strange when his when his buddies are saying, "Man, you only make a seventeen million, you know, after he's done it for year after year, and he's the best player in the league." I could see them having to go just for their sake, for appearances to make the guy happy if he's not happy or whatever. Just kind of renegotiate that and getting up closer to you know maybe extending it, maybe extending adding to the back of it, you know, some big years. Well, but. They did that. The Rays did that with Evan Longoria. Yep. Because he'd signed like seven years, thirty-five. He actually signed something similar, I think, to what Ozzy signed. Maybe before I can't he remember, played but, the game, right? Before he played the yeah. game in the big leagues, and then he turned into a superstar. Yeah. And I, I think that they just, you know, they'll they'll basically tear up a couple years of the uh-huh. contract to add a bunch of length to it and kind of pay you fair. But it's you're never going to just completely just tear it up and say, yeah. "Well, right. here's here's forty million because that's what you should be making this." And, you know, I don't, I don't have any problem with that from mm-hmm. a team vantage point either because exactly. they're taking a risk signing you long term. Especially Ozzy was have, they signed him to that long deal after he'd really Before had a he bad, he yeah. had a bad second half. You know, after yeah. that great first half, so there was still some question about is he just going to be a good player, really good player, or a star? They didn't know at that time, so that that's legit. I could see. I mean, uh, it was it was an extreme contract for if he does become a, a star, it's going to look. I mean, he's really going to be underpaid. But at the point, yeah. at that point, you didn't know. I mean. With Acuna, it's different. I think I don't think there's any question about he was going to be a star, but or at least at least good. Yeah, you know, I, it, I, you know. some guys, man, you could Ozzy could suck. It's it's not exactly. completely impossible for him to come out and hit two thirty and yep. get in his head or yep. or have a bunch of injuries. There's a ton of risk on the team side too, guaranteeing that length. And yeah. he, you know, he could be in Orlando, forty pounds overweight. You know, who was the guy that that uh, the Braves traded for a few years ago that? Barely ever even put on a jersey. Um, Olivera? Oh, yeah. Was that Hector Olivera? Oh, yeah, you know, it could be a scenario like that where you're paying a guy $10 million a year down in Orlando. He's rehabbing. He's not even trying. You know, that's that's part of the risk the team takes, too. So that comfort as a player is pretty well, pretty huge. But you don't know. I mean, there's no guarantees with performance either. Olivera was the one that got arrested in Virginia. That's that, right. That was a disaster, that trade. That was Still got paid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
we're talking about the pitching prospect from Seattle, probably the one you're talking about that got hurt and after having, but they didn't give him a contract. So um, the next one from Taylor Mooney, Mooney, Mooney pie 13 ask your least favorite stadiums. Well, that was easy for me. Uh, that's easy for me. Uh, for me, that's uh, Tampa is just a that really sucks. bad that terrible. It's the whole thing. And the, the roof is terrible. It's that, I don't know what the world they were thinking when they made that roof, that color where you lose the ball in it. The atmosphere is terrible. They tried, they do it and they got a good team. They're usually really good. That's the, that's the shame. That's, that's the kicker. <laughs> yeah. They're that good. And they compete every year and, and they do everything they can. And they still can't get any fans in there. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and I know people put Oakland up there too, because the multi-purpose is only a multi-purpose left and all that. But you've got Northern California and you're outdoors and usually the weather's beautiful. So I, it just seems like the Braves, every time they're there, it's sunny and 70 degrees. So I have a hard time saying it's terrible because you're looking at this blue sky and hills in the distance. But the stadium itself is pretty bad. It's pretty, yeah. For players, <laughs> I can only imagine. I hate that yeah. place. And it's it's yeah. gotten better, but because uh, they've, they, once they got the Raiders out of there, yeah. they added on some. You know, extra stuff and, and some space because before the Raiders came, um, they had a weight room about the size of this office I'm in right now, about 15 feet by 15 <laughs> feet. And you'd have both teams in there at, at two thirty, four o'clock, you know, all coming through there, 50 guys coming through trying to get their workouts and, well, the and everything in. Back. And the Raiders and back. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're back, but they, they were they, able to, well, now they're in Vegas, but they were yeah. back in Oakland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was just, I mean, the weather is awesome in the daytime. It's great, but at night it's always cold and windy. So it sucks to pitch there. Um, it's, it's a good pitcher's park, but I hated pitching there. Cause I always felt like shit. Uh-huh. And I'm one of the, I'm one of the guys that just doesn't like that weather. A lot of guys love the uh-huh. um, Northern California weather, that, that cool weather, but right. I, I like sweating and feeling loose. Um, the man, the, the <laughs> home visiting, it doesn't matter. They're, they're cooking off Foreman grills. You know, all these other stadiums have super nice uh, you know, chefs and all this stuff going on. It, you finish BP in Oakland, you got two choices. It's chicken quesadilla or a turkey burger. <laughs> and the snack, like the pregame snacks and stuff, just cashews and Skittles. <laughs> it's like, man, it's just, I don't know if they changed it since they made that, you know, from the Moneyball movie and everything going yeah. on there, but. There is there is something nice about it. Uh, the f- you feel kind of old school and grimy when you're there. You know, it's, it's yeah. a tough, Feels tough like mindset that that you can appreciate. But I hate that place because I suck pitching there too, and I sucked when I was with the A's. You know, it's it's more personal than anything. It's funny for because the guy from Washington State doesn't like the weather in Northern California. <laughs> I don't like the weather here to, for baseball. I like it for. I like it for it's life, Seattle, but I hate yeah. it for baseball. Yeah. I loved when I went to uh, Atlanta and I was sweaty and the ball was sticky uh-huh. and. I could get loose in like four or five throws. I love that. It's funny. Some pitchers love that, and some pitchers say they can't grip the ball when it's like that. It's just you never know, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hey, if you want to feel grimy, get the uh, take the subway, take the uh, Bart to yeah. to Oakland's Coliseum. <laughs> yeah. And you enter, you walk across that bridge that's got barbed wire on the top. Uh, you got to make it first. <laughs> uh, not barbed wire, but that that curved wire that they put up yeah. there because one of the Raiders fans one time threw a 49er fan over the fence, killed him. <laughs> so they put that. Dude, it's, 
It's insane. <laughs> and then there's barbed wire when you get up to the, when you get over the road, you know, take the bridge over the, uh, there's like this industrial crap down there, these auto shops and stuff. And then it's like poured concrete stadium. And it says, welcome to Oakland Coliseum. It's got like a Raider logo up there. It looks like you're entering a prison, man, from that side, from the, from, from the Bart <laughs> side. <laughs> it's rough, man. And I guess you kind of think that, I mean, it kind of feels cool going to play baseball a place like that. You know, it makes you feel tough. But one of the worst things that happened when, when I was playing there is one of the wives got beat up in the bathroom, pregnant. Oh, my God. Are you yeah, serious? She'd gone into the bathroom and a couple of girls followed her in there and asked if they could. T- I think they knew that she was a player's wife. You uh-huh. know, so she kind of had a target on her. They asked if they could touch her stomach. And she said, oh, my God. She said, no, you know, strangers, I don't, I don't blame her. Strangers <laughs> wanted to rub your belly or something. Like this is weird. And as soon as she told them no, they started throwing water on her. And then when she kind of like pushed them away and, and tried to get out of there, they just started punching her in the head. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, the, the foul territory there is terrific for pitchers though, right? Man, it's yeah. huge. It's like what Dodger Stadium used to be years and years ago. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, it's a really good pitcher's park, but it, yeah. I hate pitching there. Uh, any others terrible for you, Tampa and Oakland? Any other really bad ones for you? Because there's not many bad ones left, no, man. the old parks. You know, it's weird because not many I left. Hate, the old parks have really bad facilities. So like Wrigley right. and Fenway, they're a bitch to go to and deal with. But the then Cubs, once the game renovated. starts. Yeah, and w- once the game starts, so it's so nostalgic mm-hmm. being out there. And mm-hmm. it, it feels – it's so cool playing at those, you know, those classic – the stadiums I grew up playing video games and watching games right. on, it's, you know, you kind of forget it all once the game starts, but most heard, of them now are so nice. Yeah. I've heard that from a lot of players though. What you're saying about those two parks, Wrigley and Fenway is, you know, like the clubhouses were so terrible. They've done a better job. They've, it, it, you haven't been a Wrigley in the last couple of years. They've finally got to the visitor, made it much nicer. The uh, visiting clubhouse, uh, Boston's still bad. Uh, and then, you know, they put the bullpens under the stands at Wrigley now. So you're not outside. Uh, yeah. But, but I've heard other players say the same thing though, is it's terrible for them. You know, the, the, all, they don't have all the weight rooms and big clubhouses, but then once you're on the field, it, it feels pretty matter. awesome. It's right? so cool. Yeah. It's just, once you see that Ivy for the first time yeah. or you walk out and see that green monster, yeah. it, it makes you feel like a little kid again. Yeah, because as a, as a writer, you know those two places like the press box is terrible at Wrigley, and yeah. uh, and you got to walk down these ramps and everything to get to the through the crowd to get to the clubhouse afterwards and all that. So I mean, the working conditions are at the bottom of baseball. Doesn't matter to me. I still love that place. You know. Yeah, it's just too cool. It's just. I hope they find a way to keep those parks going another hundred years. Well, know, I don't know if they will. Yeah, but. They've pumped so much money into the renovating those two that they've made yeah. commitments. You know, they're going to be there yeah. at least another. I would say 40, 50 years. They got to be so much, but they spent so many hundreds of millions of dollars on Wrigley field, digging it out underneath and adding all this stuff. And I mean, it's crazy. That place is, well, you don't see the home clubhouse now there now. It's, I've it's seen amazing. the home clubhouse at, at Wrigley. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it, and that's the thing is this things, this new stadiums kind of turn into like, you know, a Ritz Carlton lobby or yeah. something like that. They're so nice, but you know, what stadium was awesome was the old Yankee stadium. Yeah. That place. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It, it, you'd walk in and there'd be rats and stuff just yeah. running down the, down the yeah. court. I think, you know, I, it was kind of that same feeling where it's, it's kind of old and beat up, but once you get outside at the old Yankee stadium, all the history there mm-hmm. and the, the, what they changed when they built the new one is the stands kind of lay back way more. But when you used to stand on the mound at the old Yankee yeah. stadium, 
it was like the stands went straight up in a tube, straight right. over your head. So you were just getting swallowed by 50,000 maniacs. This, the new one just doesn't have the same feel to it. Then it's not intimidating, the new one, right? Feels At like all. A, it's just, Nothing. It's massive. Yeah. It's too big. The, everything's too big. It's like big. a shopping mall. It's like yep. pitching in a shopping mall. No character, the new one. I agree. It's not in my top 15, the new one. And the old one was awesome. It was incredible. I'm uh, glad I got to play there. Comiskey was the same. Or uh, not Comiskey. Uh, Tiger Stadium was the same way. The old Tiger Stadium. Missed straight up, one. straight up. The stands were right over the ball, uh, especially the outfield. Like the upper yeah. deck was like hanging right over the field, man. Yeah, yeah. it was. A, it was in. It was in play. Basically, you could hit yeah. ball that wasn't going over yeah. the bottom fence, and it, it'd go in the upper deck. That exactly. was cool. Yeah, it was an amazing place. Uh, but uh, those are really those are the only two because uh, the other ones are so nice. I mean, there used to be some pretty bad ones, but uh, yeah, uh, I mean there were a lot of bad ones. The cookie cutter, multi-purpose places were all kind of boring, you know. The vet and Three Rivers, which they had some character. I mean, you knew the history of the places, but still, they were pretty pretty boring. Old Bush, uh, Old Bush Stadium. Um, uh, the Astrodome used to have rat, the rats you're talking about. They used to have rats underneath <laughs> and stray cats. They had like an <laughs> army of stray cats in there to keep the rats in the control. But, That's the type of stuff you need as a professional athlete just to bring you back to earth once in a while. Though. I like that stuff. And you'd walk across these rickety wooden planks to get from the yeah. clubhouse at Astro, at the Astrodome to the field. You're like going, this can't possibly be the way to the field. It's like through this dank, dark, yeah. underneath the stands over these planks. And there's like a stray cat running across it. And then all of a sudden, here's the Astrodome, like a Bad News Bears, you know? <laughs> that stuff just makes you feel like a grinder, though. Yeah. You know, even if you're even if you're making millions, you walk through something <laughs> like that, you feel kind of grimy and you're ready to play some ball. Yeah, like old Shea Stadium, man. You talk about a place that the, the, the Mets had the hugest upgrade when they went from Shea to City Field. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. Yeah, Shea was Shea was pretty bad, man. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> in the press box, it felt like you were in a uh, in a cave. They had the the roof was really low and it dripped when it rained. You had to, <laughs> you had to make sure you position your computer right because it would drip right on the on the desk, the tabletop we were at. It was bad. Anyway, yeah, I just I love those old dumpy parks. Yeah, there aren't many left. No. And it's really hard to rank the top 15 now because there's so many that, that yeah. are, yeah, between like numbers five and 20, it's almost interchangeable. Yeah. Then you just start, you know, the facilities and everything is so nice. You just start picking, you know, the, the city and the, yeah. the atmosphere and, yeah. and the sounds and the food and all that. After I get past my first four, it's really hard for me, those next five through like 10, because my first four yeah. are uh, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, which is a beautiful park with that unbelievable uh, view of the downtown at Wrigley and Fenway. Those are my four. But then after that, yeah. my five changes a lot. Cause like on a beautiful day at Dodger stadium, I mean, they're in a better place to be than that. That place no. is gorgeous, but there's, there's other ones too. A sunny day in Seattle's gorgeous, you know? With yeah. Safe is one of my favorites, right? You know, it means a lot to me being in my hometown team uh -huh. and everything, but Seattle and I, the thing I love about um, Dodger Stadium is the yellow seats. Oh yeah, those are yeah. And when they made Just, them look like the the old, they went back yeah, to the old colors. I love that. You know what those originally were for? That color. No. Those are supposed to be like the beach. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. That color is so bad and old. You know, it's just it's got another thing that just kind of adds the nostalgia of walking into a you know a park that's been around that long. And the the outfield uh, roof over the stands, that yeah. up and down, 
yeah. slanted roof out there. That thing's oh, really cool too. Terrific. Yeah. And, and on a beautiful day in, in uh, San Diego, you know, you can't separate the city, the weather from the ballpark when it's so pretty on a, on a day game in San Diego. It's really nice. But to me, yeah, they don't get enough fans. No, they don't. They don't. But the park oh. itself with that downtown area and that, how much it's built up is really, it's a nice little place, but I, yeah, it's you, you got to offer atmosphere for me too. Yeah. It's not in my top, you know, top seven or eight, but it is in a lot of people's, but yeah. Anyway. Um, but like you said, there's so many that are, you know, similar after that, after those first ones with the character, there's so many that are just, they're all nice, you know, now. Uh, it's don't separate themselves. No. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code 755 at checkout. Again, that's go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code 755 at checkout for 25% off your first order. Eric, if you had to do your career over again, would you change or do anything different? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I I probably would have stopped throwing those sinkers when my arms started hurting. Um, I would have tried to learn how to start because I think you can – pitch a lot longer would have tried to learn a change up because mm-hmm. I might still be pitching. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's so much I'd change. Um, you know, overall I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. it. It took me, it took me probably a year and a half away from baseball to look back and be able to appreciate my career because the last, the last two, three years of sucking mm-hmm. every day, day in, day out, not even being able to throw and not get frustrated. I mean, it was hard and it took some, it took a toll on me, but um, overall, the one thing I'd really change is I would have slowed down my rehab from Tommy John and I would have stopped trying to, um, get back to where I was. I would have stopped throwing the sinker that I think hurt my arm and shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I would have just taken my time and really I would have soaked in the last two years too, because it was just a blur and then it was over. And you look back and you're like, man, I didn't do enough just taking pictures at stadiums, getting guys jerseys, taking pictures and, you know, just all the stuff that I would have soaked it in a lot more, I think, because it's over before you know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys, this careers, man. It's like, boom, you're done. At the time you must be, it, it, you don't think that you don't think it's going to end soon. But then when you, when it's over, you must look back and goes, God, that decade was over in a hurry. <laughs> so, I mean, if you told me going into 2015, I was going to be retiring in two years. I, I would have mm-hmm. thought you were crazy. Yeah. And because I'd come off a good rehab season, you know, half a season, 14 with Oakland. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go out and get a, a good contract and get yeah. to keep playing and do have a really good season. And I just fell on my face. And and that's kind of the thing, you know, in baseball, at any minute, any player can just hit a wall, fall on their face and, and not be able to get out of that hole. 
Um, I didn't do a good job making adjustments and I fought really hard and I cared too much, but, uh, overall, man, I just, that's the one thing I'd probably change is I would have just tried to soak, soak it all in and, and appreciate it more while it was there because it was gone in a, it, what felt like just a flash, you know, it's just over. You're going home. Yeah. That was, uh, that was from Austin Gilmore, by the way, Austin Gills one and Austin, how do you get that five to pop on your on your uh, Twitter handle like that. It's got this five that when, when you call, yeah, you got to look at it. But anyway, I don't know how people do some of these figures that are in their Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I can't figure that stuff out. Let's be yeah. Honest. We're just happy if we get you on this, uh, yeah, okay. this Whatever. recording Whatever. every day. <laughs> All right. Uh, how did you, the one, and then the same guy asked me, how did you get into being a writer for the Braves? Uh, if you had other opportunities, would you take it? Or do you love the Braves? <laughs> no, I don't love the Braves. You can't love the team you cover. <laughs> that's what that's that maybe the biggest misconception that people have about uh writers, about journalists, is we're different than say somebody who's on the team payroll or paid to, you know, to be on the team's uh and even in most cases in a modern in the modern era, even like if you're a broadcaster for the team, you can't be the homer that they used to be. I mean that most fans are turned off by that. And I like a Hawk Harrelson, you know, uh, you know, pulling for the Cubs or, or pulling for the White Sox openly. You know, that's different. It's different. The older guy, you know, and uh, they, it, it, you know, he comes from a different era. But I don't think most people want to hear their broadcasters openly rooting for them, even if the team's bad. Now, if the team's in a, on a roll and everything, yeah, they want to hear, hear them be excited about it and be part of it with the fans. You know what I mean? But that's broadcasters and that's different. I think, yeah. uh, I think uh, fans, most fans, want their writer to be to be Neutral. objective. Yeah. yeah, to be able to criticize a team, uh, point out when it's not playing well. Uh, sure, I want to cover a team that's winning, and you get attached to the guys too. You like a lot of them, you like most of them, and you know you'd rather see them do well than than do poorly. And it's a lot easier to cover a team that's either. Well, it's a lot easier to cover a team that's either really great, really good, or really bad. It's the ones in Shit between. Shit probably fun too, huh? Yeah, fifty-fifty teams that are like five hundred. Those are the most boring. That don't have any personalities and stuff. That's the nightmare. But I covered a shit yeah. show fifty-four and one hundred and eighteen with the Marlins the year after they won the World Series. They blew it up. So they went from winning the World Series to going 54 and 108 (laughs) with Jim Leland as the manager of both. That's like the dream scenario for a writer. Two years. fly on the wall. Yeah. Those are stories forever. But uh, do I love the Braves? No, I wouldn't say I love the Braves. I can't. No, you can't love the team you cover. It'd be like if I covered my alma mater. That'd be really tough because I do love the Kansas Jayhawks because it's my alma mater, you know? That's the only team that I love, you know, and it's different. And if I was asked to cover them, I'd have to put that aside and cover them from I wouldn't want to do it because it'd be hard. But uh, uh, how did I get being a writer for the Braves? I was covering the Marlins for like seven years, and uh, they had an opening at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and they called me and asked me would I be interested. And my my wife, my, at the time, I've been divorced for like 15 years, but she had gone to school at UGA. She was from Miami, but had gone to school at UGA, and had always told me how much she loved Atlanta. And, uh, uh, Let's go. It, yeah, well, I'd only been in Atlanta. I always stayed downtown, and back then, downtown really sucked. So I'd never seen the cool parts of Atlanta, and I didn't know what a great city it is. So She'd always tell me how about how great it was. So when they asked me was I interested, you know, she goes, "We got to at least go look, and I'll go show you around." So she came up with my, at the interview. We went out and looked at the city, and I was like, "You're right, it is a cool city." 
And uh, they offered me a raise and all that shit. So, I, uh, yeah, I took it and never regretted it for a minute. We got divorced soon after that. But <laughs> but uh, the city, I've loved it. I've loved being here and everything. Would I take another opportunity? Would, you know, <laughs> my industry, the way things have changed in the last 10 years, I'm just happy to be working at the athletic. I love it there. So uh, I'm not looking to go anywhere else, you know, at all. But you never say never. Yeah, but you so you could you could that could influence you though, you know, maybe not the team but the city. Uh yeah, but there's not really anywhere there's only a few other places that I'd that I'd really even want to go from. I really love Atlanta, I do. That's I, what I'm saying. I'm more comfortable here than any place I've lived. You know, I lived in Fort Lauderdale 13 years and I'd never want to go back down there. I mean, it was a good place to be young and single, but and partying all the time, but it's not where somewhere I'd want to be now. There's only a few places that I really love. I love Chicago, but I'd hate the Chicago winters, you know? Yeah, it would be tough. I love Seattle. That'd be a place I'd consider going, but it's, it's so expensive to live out there. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it, it's just like Chicago. Every time I go to Chicago, I tell people like, you know, cause we go, we play the Cubs in July and you'd be driving along that, that road that runs along the lake. Yeah. And you just look out there and there's all these people on the beach, you know, it just looks like having the time of their life. Right. And, right. On the lake. <laughs> yeah. You're, or, yeah. You're, you're walking down Michigan Avenue yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it's just the best city in the world. I'm like, man, I could live here. Yeah. And every, Anybody from Chicago that I said that to just rolled their eyes and said, you move after one winter. And that, that's kind of how Seattle is. you got to tough out the rain. But yeah. right now it's going to be 70 degrees and perfect today. Right. But so it's, it's kind of two worlds. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, but I, in, in, in answer to the question, no, I'm not looking, you know, but you never know. My thing could change tomorrow with the, with, like right now we're seeing uh, with this Who pandemic knows? going, well, how, how jobs are changing in sports. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every time I turn on the internet, I see another writer saying they got fired. Or, or yeah, it's bad. I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate to be where I am because we're pretty stable right now. Knock on wood. We'll see. Um, let's see. Replying. Let's see. This is uh, from Ed Fussell. Ed D. Replying to see Game 7 of the World Series. Which Braves pitcher? Any era. Are you starting? That's tough when they say any era. Also. Yeah. Let's uh, well, we'll go with that one first because is it hard for you to you know look at say Warren Spahn from say Greg Maddox and John Smoltz and Tom Glavin? Yeah, I mean, how do you even know? I don't I, know. You know so uh, that's my least favorite thing to do is compare eras yeah. because there's so many different factors. But I'm going Maddox yeah. just because I feel like his demeanor is just something that could handle any situation. He never seemed to to really um, get too amped up or, you know, his mental side of it. I feel like he could throw him in any situation and watching some of his highlights. I think it was like a week ago. They showed it like this guy could pitch in any era, the way he can make the ball move. So I'll mm-hmm. go with Maddox. Yeah. It's really tough. I'm with you. I mean, I, I feel stupid kind of picking against Warren Spahn, you know, right. Uh, maybe the greatest left left-hander, one of the two or three greatest, I know, but I don't know. I hadn't seen him play it. And how much would his stuff hold up? I don't know. I just don't know. Who knows? My, uh, so I'm going to go with what I know. And again, I don't know how anybody picks against Maddox, who might be the greatest pitcher of our era. Certainly one of the two or three greatest, but for one game, Glavin pitched the best game ever for the Braves. You know, he he came up bigger in the biggest situation ever. But I'm going to go John Smoltz. And I just remember game seven of that World Series. They didn't win it, you know, against the Twins. But he pitched his ass off. And his his postseason record, he came up big most of the time. And I just think he was the most tenacious, competitive guy yeah. that I've been around. And I for one game, healthy. 
of course. Got to be healthy. <laughs> I'm going to take yeah. John Smoltz, but I'm certainly not going to disagree if somebody would take Glavin or uh, or Maddox. Well, the other thing about Smoltz is you could you can guarantee his stuff would play in any era. Exactly. You can't even have that debate. The guy was throwing. He, he would dominate this era or any mm-hmm. era that, that baseball's ever been played. The only knock on Maddox you hear is he got that strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I still, you know, you watch Kyle Hendricks be able to pitch in this league, and, yeah. and he's kind of similar. But I just feel like the way Maddox could make the ball move, his yeah. ability to get hitters off balance and stuff would play in any era too. But, yeah, Smoltz probably had the best just overwhelming stuff of uh, – you know, a lot of pitchers that you'd, you'd even throw into the conversation. And what a competitor. He just thrived yeah. in that atmosphere, man. He wanted yeah, the he ball. he tried to go be a pro golfer, too. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he just can't – he has to replace that, uh, that, yeah. that, that void in his life from the competitiveness that they felt in baseball. And he's, and he's tried to do it playing professional golf while he's broadcasting. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> uh, which player in the era – do you want at the at the plate? Well, that one's not hard for me. <laughs> I don't care what era. I'm taking Hank Aaron. So, yeah, me too. Uh, let's see, John uh, John Sonson, Jay Sonson nine says to add on to that. What are the traits that project someone as a starter or reliever? What are the traits for people who've dabbled in both, uh, i.e., Freed, Tukey, and Smoltz? Well, Smoltz did it for health reasons. Yeah, but what do you you answer that question? I well, I'd say stuff, stuff, and mentality are the two biggest things. You know, if you can't come up with that third pitch, mm-hmm. you're not going to get through the lineup. You know, multiple times. And the reason I stopped starting was because I couldn't focus long enough. You know, and I, I I couldn't develop a changeup. I had really good stuff. I had a really good fastball, good breaking ball, but my mentality was just that of a reliever. Just throw me in there and let me just gas out for an inning or two and get me out of the game before I lose focus. And that's kind of the thing is it, it takes a certain mentality um, to be a starting pitcher. You have to really think about all the at-bats you've had and set guys up. And for me, a lot of times just being on the mound itself was overwhelming enough where I just needed the catcher to call the right pitches. I just wasn't, especially when I was younger, I wasn't capable of thinking my way through an inning or, or a situation. And you know, those are the big factors. And, and obviously, you know, you got to have this, the, you have to have a repertoire for, to be a starter, but right. you're going to have two good pitches and be a dominant reliever. So it's, it's mainly just, yeah, stuff and mentality. Yeah. I think maybe the, uh, just the average fan looking probably doesn't, uh, maybe underemphasizes that, uh, third pitch factor. Cause with most pitchers, that's, that's big. There's not many starters that can get away with having two. <laughs> it has to be pretty overwhelming if they do. Yeah, and as a reliever, you can kind of get put in situations that favor you. But as a starter, they're going to give us – they know you're pitching, so they have their whole lineup set. Right. So if you can't get – if you don't have a changeup or you don't have a splitter or something that's going to get opposite-handed hitters out. Right. Uh, so if you're a lefty, you're facing righties, and you don't have a changeup, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to just stack their lineup. And they could stack a lineup with Matt Diaz, mm-hmm. you know, type of guys and still – plan on beating you whereas a reliever you know you might face him as a pinch hit at bat but mainly your manager is going to put you into a situation that favors you that's why that third pitch is so important because you can't hide as a starter next from john michael Vito, yeah Vitz. <laughs> he says uh best podcast <laughs> on earth hands down i may be biased as a baseball lifer who has been a d3 assistant for 16 years but you're both very relatable dudes with great takes Yes, we are, and it is the best. Uh, my question, not baseball, LOL. Have you guys been watching the, the Last Dance series? Your thoughts on that and MJ? 
My thoughts on MJ are the same that they've always been, that he's the greatest player that ever played basketball, and I've never wavered on that, not with LeBron, not with Kobe. Uh, and I'm a guy that went to Kansas, so I would I could argue Wilt Chamberlain was the greatest, but I wouldn't because I think Michael Jordan is the greatest player, the most skilled player, most competitive, the greatest player. Um, and I actually saw him play in high school in the McDonald's High School All-America game in 1981 in Wichita, yeah, that's Kansas. That's cool. In Wichita, what he had this uh, – Record 30 points has stood for 18 years. Yeah. But, yeah, he's my uh, – and he even went to Carolina, which I don't even hold against him as a Kansas guy because he's the greatest. That's my thoughts. And I've loved the Last Dance series so far. I can't wait to watch yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's great. I wish that – I think the reason they didn't release all 10 at once is because this thing's by the end of it. That, you know, <laughs> Anybody that wasn't excited about watching it, by the end of yeah. it, they're going to have like triple the ad revenue. Oh, but, Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I think it's just really good for I think there's a lot of people that are making statements on LeBron versus Jordan that have never really gotten a taste of what Jordan was. Yes. You know, they just seen the highlights on ESPN and some numbers, but going this deep dive into who he mm-hmm. was as a mm-hmm. as a person, the competitor, what he did. And some of the you know, I think the coolest thing is he was just as athletic as anybody in the game. Now, it's not like the Absolutely. It's that I hate comparing errors, and I think that a lot of people want to say the game's harder now, or the defense is better, or this. But then you look at the defense he was dealing with, where he's getting elbowed in the forehead and shoved on the ground. It's just impossible to compare the two. But the one thought I always have on that, whenever there's these debates or or showing old players, is the greatest competitors would adapt to any era. You know, if if he could learn to shoot threes, it just wasn't the the game back then. You know, he could he could learn to do anything. and so I, I hate having that debate, but I think it's really cool that everyone's getting a taste of who Jordan really was and, and what made him the icon that he is. Yeah. I mean, the only player today that really compares to him, I think, uh, is Kawhi Leonard, who has hands as big as Jordan. Yeah. The hands were so important to Jordan, what he yeah. could do with his hands. And he has the mid-range game that Jordan has, which almost nobody has in the game today. But guys back then had it. They could shoot right. long, and they, but they had the mid-range game. But Jordan, like you said, had the athleticism that was just – off the charts and that's the same as today so he was just so far ahead but i'm i'm with you though as far as com- especially in sports like basketball guys that were that yeah. competitive and that that skilled that could adapt in any era larry bird could have been just as great today as he was then uh oh, doctor, yeah. dr j will chamberlain will chamberlain you know i mean he was a specimen and he would be today too even though the game has changed and there's not that many big men there's still room for a big man that moves like that. Look at the Greek freak, you know? Yeah, he can move. It, yeah. And he was basically shacked without being fast. Right. You know? I mean, I he, mean was, he, he was super athletic. He ran track in, in college. Yeah. You just don't see athletes like no. that. So guys like that, that 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 plays any any time in history. Played played professional volleyball, beach volleyball, was a seven-foot high jumper, ran the 200 in track. I mean, Will Chamberlain was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that but yeah, the last dance thing is great, and that's that's an argument for not uh, putting a whole season up at once. Because I'm like you, I, I would have already watched all ten hours if it was on Netflix. You know, I would have been up till six a.m. <laughs> six a.m. the night it came out, and I think half the country would have. So and, that's, that's yeah. why they're doing it. They string you along and keep it going. But uh, you savor it more like this. I like it, man. Yeah. And everybody talks yeah. about it too, and the ratings. Because the more people talk about it, the more people watch it the next time. You know, the next week. Uh, so. It's must see TV at this point. Yeah. Uh, Seminoles, Sam, ha- and also Sam. How do you get these baseballs that are bookending your screen name? Another guy on on Twitter who has these. 
these uh, how do, how would you do that? He has these baseballs around Sam on his uh, on his name on on Twitter. I'm just that that they're emojis, Dave. I don't know how do you, but how do you get them on Twitter? Uh, it's probably not hard at all. I bet you could figure it out in five minutes. <laughs> well, why don't other people have them then? <laughs> yeah, there are emojis. Yeah, but how do you? Uh, let's see. He says Maybe uh, not that big a deal. <laughs> all right, whatever. He says. <laughs> Was Eric was the typical? Were you the all around, typical all around stud that could hit with power in high school also, or was you or were you dominant in pitching only? If you've listened to any of my stories about who I was when I was eighteen, I was a pretty big idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was a moron. I probably could have hit some tanks if I was coachable, but I was not coachable at all. I mean, I had the power and BP. We had like a uh, we had a home run derby for charity, and I hit a ball four fifty. You know, I won the thing. But in games, my swing was so long, um, I just I couldn't adjust. And the coach would say, "Hey, shorten up, you know, put your hands here and try this." And I'd just nod my head yes and then swing as hard as I could again. And you know, I pitched the same way. I just happened to be, um, I happened to still be able to throw ninety two even with terrible mechanics. Uh, so no, I wasn't. I I was pretty athletic. You know, I could dunk and and I wasn't a oh, fast really? runner, but I could I could jump pretty high. Uh, yeah, I was well, I was forty pounds lighter in high school uh-huh. than, than when you knew me, but. I was athletic. I just was an idiot. So I kind of broke even on a lot of sports. Uh, this next one, Wellerby ask, oh, this is going for you. Fans watching a game can get frustrated by a manager's in-game decisions. For instance, bringing in a reliever with bad platoon splits against a batter in a high leverage situation. Do you two understand these those instances better than fans do, I guess? Or do you also get frustrated? Um I'll answer this briefly and then let Eric handle the bulk of this one. Uh, yeah, I, we get frustrated sometimes because we're in the press box quickly looking up the stats or looking at the matchup sheets that they give us, or they used to give us all the time, that have the player, player pitcher matchups and your batter pitcher matchups. And you're going, why him when he's four for six with two bombs off this guy? Um, so, yeah, we do get frustrated. But I would caution, sometimes you don't know everything that's going on Yep. And the guy that would be the better matchup, he might actually not be available, uh, might not have been available going into the game, and the and the manager doesn't tell anybody that because he doesn't want the other team knowing. Or he might have in the middle of the game said, oh, warming up, he might have felt something, he died, so he's not available. Uh, or the other guy might have developed another pitch since he last faced this guy. Or maybe the last two times he faced him, he struck him out because he's got this other pitch. So there's a lot of things going on that maybe don't just show up on the – simple batter pitcher matchups. So I would say, yes, sometimes I get frustrated, but I also know from talking to managers and from talking to pitchers that there can be more to a decision than we think, but I'll let Eric handle this a lot better than I could. Yeah. I remember um, jogging onto the field one time to go face Mike Trout and just thinking, what am I doing here? (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've been, you know, and that's kind of the point is, is the manager knows it's not the, it, it, the manager knows it's it's not his best shot at getting through it. Mm-hmm. But when a manager's managing the bullpen, they have so many factors mm-hmm. that they have to consider. You know, who's been up the last few days, who he wants later tomorrow, what the score is, if there's a chance we go into extras. Um, you know, there's so many factors that sometimes a manager just has to throw a guy out there and he needs him to do well. Like he just needs it to work. You know, if Snip brings in a righty from that's been a triple-A um, with the game on the line in the sixth or seventh inning, it's not. He knows it's it's not his best odds of getting out of this situation too, but he can't make the move he wants to make because if he did that every time, uh, he'd burn out a reliever or something like that. I mean, I think you saw it a lot in two thousand. 
11, when, when me, Johnny and Craig were pitching all the time, there'd be situations where we played a one run game three, four days in a row. And all of a sudden you had Christian Martinez throwing the eighth inning with the game on the line. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make Freddie an idiot. It's just, we just played so many close games. Me and Johnny both needed a day off or Craig needed a day off and somebody had to close. So it kind of, you have to always remember that there's so much more going into it than just what's the best move right now. Uh, there's a butterfly effect to every move a manager makes, mm-hmm. and they got to consider everything. So, I mean, give you got to give the manager the benefit of the doubt that he understands that a guy that lefties are hitting 450 off of, uh, he probably shouldn't bring in to face Bryce Harper. But sometimes they just have to, and they know they know how bad it looks, but they don't have a choice. Yeah, I think that would be the best advice for people to keep in mind when they're watching the game. Is okay. Uh, this looks like a terrible matchup. So there must be something more to it, yes. than, you know, because the manager, for the most part, they're not dumb, man. They're, they know more about it no. than, than, well, I won't say than Eric, but they know more about it than I do and that fans do, you know? So they're not dumb. They got the job for a reason. They got a lot more on the line than we do. <laughs> so yeah. they're, they're not trying to lose. Um, no. If you could figure it out on your couch, he's got to figure it out. Yeah. You know, in, the, in the highest leverage position on the team. Right. You know, he gets it too. And, he just doesn't have a choice sometimes. And he's got a bullpen coach out there that's talking to the pitchers and he's got a, a really good a bench coach sitting next to him, you know? So yeah, they've got good advice. I, I like most broad, good broadcasters, veteran broadcasters understand that too and are not so quick to jump on a manager when he makes that because they know they might look stupid after the game when they go talk to that manager and ask him and he says, well, you got a call during the this middle of the game. Hurt. Yeah, exactly. So they don't question those moves usually. And a lot of fans will be frustrated when a broadcaster doesn't question the move, but that's because most of them have been there and know, you know, they don't want to eat their words and finding out later that, you know, Guy found out his wife called and was having problems at home, or you know, his, he had a twitch in his in his elbow when he was warming up, or whatever, you know. Well, it, it happened a lot of times when I was there. You know, the only way you guys ever found out my back hurt mm-hmm. was if my situation came up and I didn't pitch, mm-hmm. and then and then you know you had to ask Freddie or you had to ask Bobby or somebody, yep. you know, why didn't you use yep. O'Flaherty in this situation? But a lot of times there's there's an injury going on that if that situation doesn't come up, you don't tell the media. Because it can affect, you know, matchups and, right. and the other team knowing you're unavailable. You know, they'll still not use a pinch hitter if they think that you're going to answer with your best lefty or something like that. Um, so a lot of times there's something going on behind the scenes, too. It's just important to remember that. Yeah. Uh, the next one for Eric. This is a good one. My youngest is moving up to college ball as a reliever next year. My best advice you can give him. It's been great for him to get your insight, oh. Uh, throw strikes. Throw strikes and be aggressive. Pitch inside. Don't doubt anything. If you doubt a pitch, step off. Um, but really, just, just find a way to not care, and not in a bad way. You know, don't be don't be careless out there. But find a way to pitch like you're just in your backyard and have fun with it, and and be really confident and just let it eat. Uh, don't think too much. Dave, you've seen a lot of players play since you started writing. Who is the most dominant player you've ever seen and why? And same question for Eric. Okay, I'll answer it first. Most dominant players, I'm assuming you're not talking about pitchers because we've just talked about the pitchers, really. If, if it was pitchers, I'd go with uh, uh, dominant stuff. I'd go with Kevin Brown and John Smoltz and, of course, Craig Kimbrell. In fact, I'd probably go yeah. with Craig Kimbrell as the most dominant and maybe Johnny Venters yes. as most dominant. But if we're talking about players, I'm going to go uh, Chipper Jones and Gary Sheffield. They're the most dominant players. And why? Because they they literally, every time they walked to the plate, uh, they had a look in their eye, like, give me your best, best stuff. I don't care who the pitcher is. I can handle it. 
and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take you deep. That's where they look. They walked up there with this cockiness, this this uh, confidence that just exuded from their pores. Uh, I think Ronald Acuna might change that uh, answer for me in you know a few more years, but you got to give him a few more years because at this point they can still get him out, you know, and he's still got you know he strikes out a lot. So it, I mean, he might be the most talented player I've ever seen already. But Chipper and Chef are the most dominant position players I've ever seen. The, the yeah, Kimbrel's. I've never seen anybody overwhelm hitters mm-hmm. the way Prime Kimbrel did. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody just not even, they don't even have a shot. You know, when we used to call it Craig versus Kimbrell, the only thing was if he could throw strikes or not. Mm-hmm. And and the hitters would just wave and miss pitches by feet. Yeah. I just, <laughs> it was, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. Um, the, the best baseball player I've ever watched, you know, over Mike Trout is, mm-hmm. is easily the best baseball player I've seen. Um, I think he's going to go down as one of the best ever if he's not already. Yeah. Uh, but the best stretch I've ever seen was in 2015. I was with the Mets and Joanna Cespedes came over. He was playing in, in New York City in a, f- a free agent year or something like that. I can't remember what the situation was, but he just went off and pretty much won them division. And every big situation he came up in, he had a home run or did something. Uh, that was the best stretch I've ever seen. But the best, the, I'd say the most dominant player I've seen is Mike Trout. Yeah. And I should qualify that. I'm only going with the guys I've covered because I think, because yeah. the guys I've covered those. Now, if I'm saying best players I've seen, the two Barry best, Bonds. the two, well, and Barry Bonds is, but I can't. I just can't do it, man. I can't get past the steroids. But that's the highest level I've ever seen baseball play. That I'll put it that way. Obviously, yes. <laughs> Barry Bonds. I saw him do it to the Braves again and again. But I just don't. That asterisk uh, is too big with me. But I'd say Mike Trout and Miggy of the guys I've seen, Miguel Cabrera and Mike Trout, yeah, are the best two. Yeah. Uh, but the but the ones I've covered, those would be Chef and uh, and uh, Chipper. Uh, then we got. Uh, Oh, that's it for the questions. Those are good, man. I like those. And I had said about the big three interview that I did last week, but we're running out of time. It's getting long already here. But I did a story on – I did a Q&A with the big three last week and I asked uh, Glav, Smoltz, and, and Maddox all the same like, 10 questions, I think it was. It was really good stuff. If you guys haven't seen it, go back and look at, you know, everything from, uh, you know – what Bobby Cox meant to him, to who was the funniest, to who was the what's the biggest misconception. So th- just go back and look at it if you guys haven't. It was, I think you like it. But Eric, which of those guys? And we answered this before we, already. But for Game Seven, or since you already answered that, which would you want to sign to a six-year contract in his prime, healthy? Maddox. Yeah. Yeah, just the, the chances of him staying healthy, I feel like, are the highest. Yeah. I, I know Glavin didn't have a lot of injuries, but that's the downside of small stuff. If yeah. you're throwing stuff that nasty, especially a slider like that, and you saw he at least had Tommy John and some other stuff going on, but it's it's harder to stay healthy uh, mm-hmm. being that explosive like he was. And throwing that split like he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you had been kind of insane to pick against the guy that had won four straight Cy Youngs, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the strengths. What did you see as the strengths of each of those three pitchers? I mean, Maddox, the way he made the ball move and red hitters, Glavin's change up and ability to hit spots mm-hmm. and Smoltz, just the stuff. Obviously, the competitor in him, too. I mean, the guy is the most competitive person you're going to meet ever. And it doesn't hurt to have his stuff and be that kind of competitor. But mm-hmm. really, his stuff. I mean, his slider guys still talk about it. And I've seen videos. My favorite is anytime I get to see a video of a pitcher from a home plate view. Mm-hmm. I feel like it gives you just a different appreciation. I wish they'd do that more in games. 
um, kind of do a do an angle over the umpire's shoulder or something like that and, and give you that life on the ball and how it just takes off in certain directions. But I've seen a uh, smolt slider from a home plate view. Mm-hmm. Man, you could throw me 700 yeah. in a row, tell me it's coming, I'm not putting a bat on it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Kimbrel's. I mean, yeah. there's nothing you, Good luck. nothing you can do. Um, and yeah, and you talk about Maddox's movement, but he also had the location too, right? I mean, him yeah, and Glavin both miss. were just pin, pin, hit a dime. Yeah. So. All right. Hey, this has been good, man. I really, really appreciate you guys coming up to good questions like that on short notice. That helps. Uh, it's fun. It's fun to connect like that. But uh, we'll be back on uh, Tuesday. Hopefully we'll have some more news about uh, what's going on with, with baseball. I think we're getting closer. It might be – a week, might be three weeks before they make a decision, but I think we're getting closer, and I'm holding out hope that we're going to play baseball one way or the other. Me too. 755 is real. We're out. Thanks. Thanks.